0: Good morning and welcome. Uh, Let's turn our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. We want to look at three verses this morning as we have been taking our time uh, to move through this wonderful chapter. And we pray the Lord would minister to our hearts through these things. Verse 26. We're told here by Paul Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings, which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, Because he makes intercession for the saints, according to the will of God. And we know. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Aren't you thankful for that? What a great promise. And to those who are the called according to his purpose. Lord, we thank you that in your great heart, in your awesome plan of redemption, Lord, you've called us unto yourself. What magnanimous grace, what incredible love. Lord, how good and kind you are. We know that in ourselves, Lord, we don't deserve a call. Lord, uh, we deserve something much different. But Lord, in your great heart, Lord, you went to a cross. You took our place. You died, Lord, for our sins. For that we're thankful. We're we're truly honored by that. And Father, I pray that as we uh, consider this this portion of of chapter 8, that you would help us, Lord, to understand these things in a personal kind of way. Lord, that there would be application, Lord, application in our personal lives, Lord, in our prayer life, in, in, in our perspective, in our outlook, that we would know, Lord, that, that you're working all things, Lord, to the good for those, Lord, who know you, those who love you. Those who are called according to your purpose. Lord, we discover that after we come to know you, that as difficult and challenging as our lives were before we knew you, we can see your fingerprints. We can see your hand upon our lives, Lord, bringing us to that place. And we're we're truly blessed people. We're thankful. And Father, I pray for us this morning, and if there be any in our midst, that that do not know the Savior as of yet. Lord, we pray for that wonderful, marvelous work of redemption to take place today. Lord, cause there to be in us, Lord, a a response to you. Lord, we don't want to just do church. Lord, we want to be disciples. Lord, we want our relationship with you to be alive we want it to be active. We want to be living lives of faith, Lord, lives that are pleasing to you, lives that are making a difference, Lord, in our world, in our culture, in our society. For, Lord, we see, we see the grief, the pain, the violence, and all the other stuff uh, that is out there. And, Lord, uh, like Esther, you have called us to such a time as this. So I pray we wouldn't bury our talent, but that, Lord, we would be proactive, Lord, yielding our lives to you. And, Father, as we are in this and have been for a few weeks now, this Chapter 8, Lord, we need the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We need your power in our lives. And that's one thing, Lord, we realize we can't fake. But Lord, when you're moving among your people, there's a wonderful dynamic. It's attractive. It's wonderful. It's life changing. It's evangelistic. And Lord, so much more. And we need that. Lord, we want that. We yearn and desire, Lord, as we've been looking and talking about in this chapter, a, a groaning, a longing a longing for something more, something better. And I pray that, Lord, your spirit might just fill our lives, Lord, uh, with that that sense of expectancy for all that you have, Lord, for for us, your people, for each one of us, Lord, individually. So we commit this time to you, Father. We, We thank you for it, and I thank you for those that are here. Lord, how I pray that you'd meet with us now. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Uh, chapter 8 is such an incredible, rich uh, commentary. It's very comprehensive uh, in the sense of what the Holy Spirit uh, wants to do within our lives, within our midst. We realize that, uh, you know, as Jesus said over there in John chapter 15, and, and it's referring to him, as referring to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, that without him we can do nothing. And don't we discover that from time to time? Uh, as we attempt to do something, we endeavor to do something, but we really haven't prayed. we haven't maybe been led by the spirit, and we find that oftentimes and i've seen this many times with 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 good and well intended things that they can die in the trenches. you know things that maybe have been inspired initially you know, by the Holy Spirit. Uh, but as God's people, we think, you know, since God inspired a thought, then, then everything's just sort of automatically going to unfold. But the fact is, He, ca- he calls us, you know, to pray. And, and I've come to realize that there's, you know, it, there really isn't anything that really um, gets traction in the spiritual life um, and in our culture and society uh, that has not been first birthed by prayer. You know, God uses prayer. We, we put a great emphasis on prayer in our lives and in this particular church because we realize that we really can't survive without it. Uh, and we really need, and, and perhaps maybe uh, uh, you've struggled in your prayer life. You know, who, who really hasn't? Who hasn't struggled in their prayer life? And, um, but the fact is we need to rely upon the helping of the Holy Spirit. He's the one that will enable us. He's the one that will empower us. Uh, he is, remember it's not in a sense sometimes you know we as believers in the church gets caught up in what we want to do for God but it's really thy will be done isn't it we want to do his will and there's a will the Holy Spirit is a person and he has a will and a desire you know what he wants to accomplish you know in us and through us and in our in, in our midst in a corporate kind of a way. So when we think about this this comprehensive you know ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, I can sort of sum it up you know in one word. He's our helper, you know. He's our great helper. You know, he's the one who comes alongside us, and and uh, you know, he's the one that led us to Jesus in a sense. You know, he's the one. Uh, that wants to be involved, you know, intricately, intimately, you know, in our lives as we, you know, as we basically navigate through life, we can't simply, you know, the fact is you can't live the Christian life just on good intentions. You need the Holy Spirit guiding you and directing you. And I think sometimes we just take it for granted that's going to happen. Uh, And I think there's a mistake in that. Uh, Yes, God's Spirit's at work within our life, uh, but he wants us to—he wants us to abide in him. He wants us to draw near to him. He wants us to spend time, you know, in fellowship, you know, with him. Uh, as we spend time in the Word of God, as we spend time in prayer, uh, God indeed will, you know, uh, he will lead us and he will direct us. He will help us in every way uh, that we need it. Now, in verses two through eight in this chapter, I just want to give you a really short review here of the verses up into this particular point, uh, we're reminded there, verses 2 through 8, that He empowers us to do His will. He empowers us to do God's will, not our will. Uh, There's a tension oftentimes, I think, in the Christian life between what we think is, you know, what is our will and what is God's will. Uh, Sometimes uh, a, a person, you find a person saying, you know, well, what is God's will for my life? There is God's will. There is God's will and God's purpose you know, that he has for us individually, he has for us collectively. Uh, so verses 2 through 8 speak to that. Uh, verses 9 through 13, it speaks about how the Holy Spirit is working to subdue the old nature, uh, how, how that old nature is, you know, in a sense, it's always there. Remember, we talk about three enemies, you know, first and foremost, you know, the devil. Um, um, and this world, this world out there, this world out there that has been basically uh, fashioned and shaped uh, to bring people down, uh, you know, temptation and all that sort of thing. But then there's that thing of the flesh, our own weakness, our own nature, our own, you know, our own certain proclivities, uh, and how they at times kind of break out. You know, they kind of break out, and, and the Holy Spirit's working to keep those things in check. And the way that happens is as we're obedient to Him, as we're obedient to the leading and the prompting and the directing of God in our lives, uh, that there will be this subduing, this subduing of, you know, tendencies, you know, the old nature, the old desires, those things. Uh, God has called us not to let, you know, remember uh, we saw over in chapter 6, he said, sin shall not have dominion or control over our lives. Well, it can. We, we, that's why he says that, because it can't, that can happen to us if we're not really yielded, you know, to the Spirit of God and what He desires, His purpose for us. So, so He's at work. He's presently at work. But in order for that to take place, for that to be actualized, uh, that we have to obey Him. Uh, The Bible speaks about that, obeying the Spirit, obeying the Holy Spirit. Uh, And then, in chapters, excuse me, verses 14 through 17, He gives us an assurance that we belong to Him. Um, Wonderful thing that, that we have this sense, yes, I belong to Him yes, I, I know him. Um, you know, when you read that, uh, after you've come to know the Lord uh, in that kind of intimate, deep and kind of way, uh, you realize when you read those verses that he could never say to you, um, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to forsake you or I never, I never knew you. Uh, he won't say that to those that belong to him. So, he gives us this assurance. John speaks about it over in his little epistle. And if you don't have that assurance that you belong to Him, you need to have that. Uh, Pray about that. Pray that the Lord would reveal that to you, that we reveal the truths, you know, in Scripture, that you are His, that you belong to Him. And then in verses 18 through 23, leading up to this, uh, He reveals to us the futility of life without Christ, Uh, just like the life that we once lived before Him. There's a certain kind of futility. You know, we can waste our time, we can waste our life, we can waste our money and all of our resources. Uh, many people do that out there in the world, looking for meaning, looking for fulfillment. Our fulfillment, our meaning, our real satisfaction is in Christ. It's not in the world. Now, now the fact of the matter is we live in the world, but we're not to be of the world. Uh, the, in a sense, our lives become satisfying because of Him, because of what He has done. You know, our jobs have a certain amount of satisfaction. Um, that You know, our job you know, in this world may not have any eternal value, Um, But the fact of the matter is that we can be satisfied in it because we see the hand of God and we're walking with him. We're trusting him. Um, You know, the fact is life is simply not fulfilling without Christ in it. Um, You know, look at your life and how I can remember even as a young person many, I would just sort of go from one thing to the next, looking for some kind of deeper satisfaction, some type of fulfillment. And I would feel that just for a little bit and all of a sudden you'd realize there was a certain kind of emptiness to it. Uh, You kind of move on to something else because we need Him. We need need Him to be involved within our life and whatever. And, And, you know, it's amazing how sometimes, you know, something becomes so boring, you know, before we know Christ and after we know Christ because He's in our heart, Uh, that we see a certain amount of satisfaction in what we're doing Uh, because life without him has real no no ultimate meaning and purpose and then he says finally here as we come here to this particular section that he gives us help and assistance and particularly uh, in verse 26 in prayer in this whole ministry of prayer Uh, we're told in the bible that we have two intercessors we have one in heaven uh, Hebrews 7.25, it's the Lord Jesus Christ. He, what, he ever lives to make intercessions according, you know, uh, for the saints according to the will of God. Uh, Romans 8 speaks to that too as well. But we have another intercessor on earth. We have the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit at work within our lives. Um, and at times, uh, we'll find that he wants to, you know, one of the things that we pray in, often in our prayer meeting uh, when the men uh, gather is that we would enter in to the intercessions of Jesus. In other words, he knows, you know, what exactly we really need to pray for or who it is that we need to pray for. And uh, we need to rely upon that and look to him, you know, in this whole ministry of prayer, if we really want our prayers, because I think sometimes when it comes to prayer, it's probably one of the most uh, ignored and bypassed ministries of the church. But isn't it interesting that Jesus said that my house shall be called a house of prayer? He didn't say it would be called a house of preaching. Now, nothing wrong with preaching. Preaching is good. But it's interesting he referred to his house uh, as a house of prayer for all people or for all nations. And that's very important, I think, for us to understand that and apprehend that. You know, in the, in in our in our you know, in our ministry, you know, we're, we're, involved, uh, we're involved in Africa. We're involved in many different places. We're going to Guatemala. We're involved there. Uh, we're involved down in the Amazon. Um, we're involved over in Europe, uh, you know, in a missional kind of a way. Uh, but the fact of the matter is it's very important that, that we are a people who are praying continually for God's guidance and what He wants to do with our lives, how He wants to reach out in a personal kind of way in our community. Um, We're always praying, you know, that the Lord would would work, you know, through the church and through you guys, through each one of you, uh, each one of our lives touch a sphere of activity and people that perhaps my life or the person sitting next to you will never touch. And so, it's important to be in sync and in tune with the Spirit of God that He might lead us and use us and direct us. Uh, Looking at verse 26... Let me ask you this question. Have you ever struggled in prayer? Well, Who hasn't? And I think that's why we kind of give it up, don't we? I think we kind of give it up, or at least we, we believe in prayer, but really do we practice prayer? That—that that I, I think the main issue. Yes, there's a lot of things in the Bible that we believe and we ascend to it. Yeah, Yeah, I agree with that, but yet is it taking place in our life and in our particular experience, you know, we believe it, we accept it, we ask people to pray for us. But sometimes, you know, do you ever sit down to pray and just go blank? Just go blank. It's like, you know, you're, and all of a sudden you're, you're doing mental wool gathering. You know, you're just kind of, you know, thinking about things that you need to do during the course of the day and that sort of thing. Uh, And I think this this can happen to us often when we really come to prayer, even though we come to prayer because we know we need to pray. The Bible tells us to pray, but yet when we come there, we find ourselves going blank because as as, uh, we read here in verse 26, we really don't know what to pray for. He says, likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, uh, in our spiritual weaknesses, in in our inability to really know what to pray for and what to even who to pray for or what to pray about. Uh, For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So He's there basically to help us, and that's why it's important. You know, the Bible says we we have not because we ask not. We need to ask the Lord for help uh, you know, one of the things I find, the older I get, the more I walk with Christ, the more I realize my own weaknesses, more my vulnerabilities. You know, sometimes when we're young and we're strong and we're vibrant and all that kind of thing, we can kind of take on the world. But as you as you grow older and mature in Christ, you realize your vulnerabilities, you realize how weak you are. And, and the purpose of that is not just to show us how weak we are, but to show us how dependent we need to be on Him. That's one thing that every one of us, you know, basically, you know, have in common that the Lord is showing us we need to be more dependent upon Him, more reliant upon Him in His Spirit. Uh, and sometimes we have to fail in order for that to take place, you know, in our life. You know, Paul, or not Paul, well, maybe it is Paul in the book of Romans chapter 4 verse 14, where he says this, seeing that you have a great high priest speaking of Christ, and again, the the the, the whole deal with the priest was this, he represented the people before god a prophet was different he represented the voice of god to the people but a priest represents the people before god and that's why the priest in the old testament was a person who was beset you know with all kinds of weaknesses and struggles but but we have a great high priest that doesn't have all those issues and have all those problems speaking of jesus who has passed through the heavens jesus a son of god so let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So he's saying, reminding us here that we have a very sympathetic high priest, that he understands our weaknesses. Um, that God could never say that if he didn't take on flesh. If God did not robe himself in flesh, he simply could have never said that. So he, symp- he can sympathize, you know, with our vulnerabilities, with our weaknesses, with all of our proclivities. Um, and he is there that we might come to him because he's interceding for us. And, and that, he might, that, he, that he might pray, we might enter into those prayers and intercessions uh, that represent the perfect will of God. And it's interesting, too. This would, this would have seemed like, to, and again, it's easy for us to comprehend this because, you know, can, oh, come to the Lord. Come boldly to the throne of grace. But for the Jew, how difficult that must have been because the high priest could only go behind the curtain, the, the Holy of Holies, one time a year on the Day of Atonement, uh, and he could be smitten dead um, if he had uh, basically gone into that very holy place with any sin within his life. Um and remember, on, the, on when Christ was crucified, that 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 veil was rent asunder; it was torn into from top to bottom. But which basically, basically was saying the way now is open to God. Uh, so to be able to go, you can, you and I can go in to the very presence of God, to the throne of grace, to what? To obtain mercy and help in time of need. Well, how often is a time of need? Well, kind of every day, isn't it? I mean, moment by moment, uh, we find that, you know, we uh, are a very needy people. Lord, we, we need this to happen. We need that to happen. That's why, in a sense, I think our lives should be, uh, in a sense, like a mortar tube all day long, you know, sending up prayers. This doesn't Paul tell us? You know, pray at all times? How important that is for us. Now, he says, interesting here... Um, that these intercessions can be made with groanings. That a groan can be a prayer. Isn't that amazing? That God can interpret a, 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 a deep groan. Uh, I was um, watching the news this week, and a, uh, just a young child, young girl, 10 years old, was murdered by this, this older, brutal man. And, and as I heard that news, I just groaned. And it was, just, it, was, it was like an involuntary groan. I wasn't even thinking about it, but I realized uh, that as, you know, I was sitting there watching that, I was just sort of groaning in a sense, grieving, you know, for the pain and the loss of this, you know, this young girl. And, uh, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, Jesus groaned. We're, we're told that he groaned. Uh, it, it's in the story of uh, John chapter 11, when Lazarus, who was a, a good friend, his sister Martha and Mary, um, that when Jesus, you know, when, when Jesus came back, he had been in the grave, uh, you know, for four days at that particular point. And it tells us over in John chapter 11, I just want to read a couple of verses uh, to you there. In verse 33, it says, When Jesus saw her weeping, that is Mary weeping, Uh, And the Jews who came with her weeping, he groaned in this spirit and was troubled. I think he was groaned simply because of, you know, the pain and the suffering of what sin had caused and what sin had done to humanity. As a matter of fact, uh, in verse uh, uh, 35, I think it perhaps may be the shortest but maybe the most powerful verse in all the New Testament where it says, Jesus wept. And it always boggles, boggled my imagination for a while because you know what? He knew what he was going to do. And yet what? He's the perfect high priest. He still cried. He wept. That's why the Bible tells us when we come in the company of somebody who's mourning, mourn with those who mourn. Be, be sympathetic. Be empathetic you know, to their... To their situation and to their particular need, we, we see that in the ministry of Jesus. Then, verse thirty-eight, he groans again. Then Jesus, again groaning in himself, came to the tomb, and it was in a cave, and a stone lay upon it. And I think this is simply another reminder. Uh, remember when we're over in chapter uh, when we're in chapter eight, verse thirty-two. Remember, it says that we groan, all creation groans, and we groan. And I think this is one of those simple, simple groans that we have, that we're groaning for something better. We're groaning, in a sense, for the redeemed world. That's what we, find, we have found out and discovered here in chapter 8. We're groaning for our new body, for a redeemed world. We're groaning for for something, something better. How accurate can our prayers be? I think that depends on how much we rely upon the Holy Spirit. I think our prayers can be an arrow right to the heart of the target. Now, he who searches the heart knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. He he knows exactly, the Lord knows exactly what we need to pray for. He knows exactly who we need to pray for and how it is that we need to pray. Uh, sometimes you know, as, when we open up in prayer, and 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 often uh, I usually lead that in our men's prayer meeting, uh, the meetings that I'm in anyway, and uh, we we often just ask that Lord, w- would you help us here? Would you lead us and guide us? And and I, it's amazing to me because when I come to prayer, and I think most of most of us are like this. Um, I don't come with, with a, I mean, there may be something on my mind or maybe an item or two on my mind, but for the most part, I don't come with this program or this agenda. And what's amazing to me is that as we simply begin to pray on faith and reliance upon the Holy Spirit, that He begins to pray, in a sense, in us and through us. And I find myself praying for all these things that I had never purposed and thought about to pray for. Has that happened to you? I'm sure it's happened to you. I would say, what, at least once? (laughs) It should have. Because God calls us to be people of prayer. Be careful that the devil doesn't rip you off with all these excuses and reasons of why not to pray. He will do that. He'll lie to you your prayers don't mean anything. Or you come to prayer and you're blank. Or sometimes when you come to prayer, there's somebody in the meeting that bugs you. Mm-hmm, yeah, uh-huh. Oh, I've had many people tell me they don't like the way, you know, so-and-so prays. I just feel like saying, shut up. <laughs> shut up and Pray. You know, God puts us in this thing called the body, and we, there's friction. There's friction when you get close to people, isn't there? And, and the closer you get, the more the friction is. And, and you find out some people are sandpaper, and they just kind of, they wear on you a little bit. And, and we need to get victory in that. We need to get over that. You going to hide when we get to heaven? I don't want to be around that person. (laughs) They they bother me. The devil. It's the devil ripping us off. Because you know what? We need to change. We need to change. And, And be careful that you don't have this whole list of excuses of why you don't pray. Well, I think God's called other I don't have the gift of intercession. I've heard that one. I don't have the gift of intercession. Therefore, I don't uh, leave it up to somebody else. Baloney. If you have the Holy Spirit in your life, He wants you to pray. And and we have to learn how to work through distractions of other people and and other things that isn't amazing. You ever notice when you sometimes sit down to pray at home, the phone goes nuts, the kids go nuts. I remember we, we would get up real early when our kids were small. And we'd, I, I remember we, we would try to tiptoe out so we could get downstairs and pray. And we just had one daughter. I'm not going to mention her name. <laughs> I can get in trouble. I had one daughter that, that as soon as we opened our eyelids, she was up there on the crib like this. And we joke about it with her, too, that you ruined our prayer life. (laughs) But we had to learn how to adapt. We just had to adapt to that and adjust to that. I, I, you know, I always get a kick out of uh, hearing about, um, I think it was Susanna Wesley. She was a mother of the Wesley family, and they had 17 kids and in a small house. And when she prayed, you know, the Bible says, that's why the Bible says, go into your closet Uh, she would throw her apron over her head. And all the kids would say, all right, mom's praying, shut up, be quiet. Don't disturb her. So whatever distractions that we have or whatever we don't like, we we need to get over that. We, we We need to get into a prayer meeting. Or we need to pray with other people wherever that is. There's a dynamic. I've noticed this. When I'm alone, I don't pray as much. When I'm with others, the dynamic kicks in. God honors it, so I encourage you. Encourage you to do that. I came across an article where the holy, where President Lincoln was inspired um, to encourage the nation to pray. Of course, they were in the midst of the American Civil War. This was uh, April of uh, 1863, very difficult time. And uh, not only uh, was the war going on, there were issues also, too, in his own family, sickness of their children. And it says in 1862, after the loss of their son, Willie, Mrs. Lincoln said that her husband drew closer to the Lord. And Lincoln's proclamation for for a day of fasting and prayer showed that he depended even more on God during the second half of his presidency. And one author put it regarding his proclamation, quote, few ministers of the gospel could have done better or, or, or prayed better. And he said this It's the duty of nations, as well as of men, to owe their dependence upon the overruling power of God, and to confess their sins and transgressions in humble sorrow, yet with assured hope that genuine repentance will lead to mercy and pardon, and to recognize the sublime truth announced in Holy Scripture and proven by all history that those nations only are blessed whose God is the Lord. And I like what he says here, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which has preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us. So it behooves us then to humble ourselves before the offended power, to confess our national sins, and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. I'll tell you what, that's a good proclamation for right now in our nation, isn't it? Who knows that when we pray what God is going to do. Who knows? A lot of be careful that you don't allow some increment, some little scrap of unbelief to get into your heart and get into your mind that's going to keep you from prayer. Over in the uh, book of Joel chapter 2 verse 14, There's a call to repentance to the nation from from Joel. And he says this, Who knows if he will turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him? And I think we can say that as we pray about many different things. We may be praying about, you know, some person that, that basically everybody's saying, and they may look like a lost cause. Who knows? If God can turn the heart of that person and God will leave behind a blessing. You see, that's our God. And our God is always challenging us. He's challenging our unbelief. What's it say in uh, uh, Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3? He says, call unto me and I will show you great and mighty things which you've never seen before. Jesus said, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and that door will be opened. And he said that, he said that and he made a statements in relation to prayer. Because he honors prayer. He wants, to, he wants to answer prayer. I believe God wants to work. If you've thought about or concerned about revival and a transformation, to take place, whether on a large scale or a small scale, wherever the case may be, if you if you've thought about that in any way, that's because God wants you to pray, and and He wants to answer. He's not a God who's afar off; He's a God near and at hand. Oh, may God help us to get rid of our unbelief and our doubts and our fears and our our worries and our excuses. You know, looking at Hebrews 4, what privileged access is that? Huh. Yeah. He says, come boldly. Come boldly to the throne of grace. Second Chronicles 7.14 is a call to prayer that we hear mentioned often. But it's a conditional call. It's conditional that if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray. It's not to the world. Not to the unbelievers. But it's to us. If my people who are called by my name, and that's us, we're we're his New Testament people. The Jews were his Old Testament people. But if we will humble ourselves and pray and confess Our sins. And he says, and turn from our wicked ways. That he will hear from heaven. And he will what? Fix our cars. No. Heal our land. I mean, he throws that promise out there for all time for those that will believe him. But it's conditional. It's conditional. That's why in order for the culture to be impacted, he's got to change us. He's got to change us. He's got to work in us. There's got to be a willingness in us that if there's anything that needs to be confessed, that we'll confess it. We'll give it up. We'll say, Lord, I need you more than I need anything else. You desire us to work. Now, we come here to, I think, one of the great Bible verses of the New Testament, often quoted, I think sometimes misunderstood. But the context of verse 26 presupposes that we are a praying people. The presupposition here that we're a praying people, that we're seeking the heart, the mind, the will of our God. For we know that all things work together for good. To those who love God and to those who are the called according to his purpose. So you can say maybe technically two groups there. To those who love him, working in him, working with him, serving him. And to those who are called. You know that God's calling people that haven't committed their life yet? Chambers says this, there's the call of the wild. Many of us maybe have read the book in school years ago, (laughs) the call of the wild. And and there seems to be calls to do certain things. But then there's a call where the Spirit of God is drawing a person. And as I look at my own life, Before I came to Christ and realized that He was calling me, there was just a quest in my life. There was a searching. There was a certain emptiness there. But there was this kind of groping, looking, realizing there needs to be more. And as the scripture says, many are called. but few are chosen. And dear person, if you're here this morning and you have that same longing, that same yearning, I would say God is calling you. Choose him and then you'll find out you've been chosen. He calls us to make a choice, doesn't he? You know, one of the things I found out at 25 years old when I came to Christ, and I think everybody finds this out no matter what age they come to Christ, that I said, oh, I wish I would have known him earlier. I wish I would have known him when I was 15. God was working in my life when I was fifteen. I told you that story. My father was dying in the hospital, Catholic hospital. I was born in. He was shot right here. Really bad. The uh, the doctor came into my mother and I. Real early in the morning. They worked on them for six hours uh, all night long. And they said, well, we've done what we can do. You know, when a doctor tells you that, you pretty much, you get a pretty strong impression of what's going on. And I remember I didn't know the Lord at that time. And like many of us don't know the Lord, all of a sudden there's a tragedy or something strikes into our life. And then there's just reaching for God. There's just this, this cry, this prayer. It's like, where'd it come from? And I went into the little Catholic chapel in that hospital. And, he, and having been in Catholic school, I knew the rote prayers, but none of them fit the circumstance. And I said this, I said, Lord, if you will save my father I will do whatever you want me to do. And here I am today. I got saved about 10 years to the month later. And I look back at July 1965, and I realized, Lord, you were, you were there. You were there reaching out to my life. And I think many of us, as we look at when whenever we're saved, uh, Lord, couldn't it have been earlier? <laughs> but he's got, a, he's got a time in it all, doesn't he? He's working out his, his purpose. And you look at verse 28. Does that mean that there will be I will always be kept from adversity? No. Now be careful. Be careful that you don't process it like that. Because a lot of people do. Because as soon as adversity touches their life, Lord, don't you love me? Lord, why is this happening? But I think we have examples all the way through the Bible and through Scripture about individuals that God was with them in their adversity. You know, you think of Joseph. Hated by his brothers, sold into slavery. And he goes not only from the pit, but he goes to prison. But because he was trusting God, he ends up in the palace. See, God has a way of bringing good out of the evil and the tragedy and the messed up lives that we have. You think of David. David. for sure he thought that Saul was going to kill him said he 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 was chased like a partridge on the mountains for 7 years then he had his promotion i think of daniel imagine being a, a royal being a part of the royal family and your whole nation falls and you're 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 carted off uh, and, you're, and you're basically, you're sent to Babylon. They make you a eunuch. And basically, when you look at Daniel, he was, he was an indentured servant. Can you imagine putting yourself in that place, being separated from your family and everything that you love and knew? And here you're a slave in a foreign kingdom. But we know that God was with him. And he ends up being the prime minister of that kingdom. Incredible. What an incredible story. See, God brings good out of difficulty. And we have to believe him for that. Don't get stuck in your bitterness. Because you're wasting... As that book, that book I referred to a couple weeks ago, Don't Waste Your Sorrows, by an author, Billheimer, An old book. It's probably out of print. Don't waste your sorrows. Because God can bring good, and and that's what He wants us. He reminds us of of that because that's what He wants us to look forward to, to good and to blessing, to what it is that He has for us. And as we're told in verse 28, we know, you know, here is what we do know. We do know this, that God brings beauty out of ashes. Amen? That's not just true for others. That's true for us, for the child of God. He also, too, brings blessing out of our buffetings. Maybe you're being buffeted right now. You're being beat up by circumstances. Trust Him. He's going to bring blessing out of that. He brings life out of death. See, He's the the God of resurrection. I've seen Him do this many times. When When there's loss of life, God comes into the equation of it. His resurrection power is at work. People get saved. Lives get changed. He brings good out of evil. Remember Paul and Philippi put in prison. Imagine that. Here he is. They're beat within an inch of their life. They're put in prison, him and Silas. And this is after God told him to come (laughs) to Europe. And this is his touchdown in Europe. And I would imagine him and Silas, you know, the conversation could have been, do you think we heard the Lord right as they're in stocks, as their backs are bleeding? Yeah, I know the Lord spoke to me. He gave me that dream. I know it was the man of Macedonia crying, saying, come over and help us. I know that was the Lord. So they start singing. And then just coincidentally, an earthquake comes. And all their chains are broken. What a coincidence, huh? You know, see, that's the miracles that take place in the lives of those who trust Him. When we find ourselves in adversity, in the place of difficulty. Now, Paul says that we know these things. But let me ask you this. This is the more important question. Do we really believe it? The funny thing is, is we can believe this for other people. We can believe it for other people. And yet, when it comes to us, we can reject that. Oh, yeah, <laughs> that, that's good. That works for so-and-so. And I think sometimes we do believe it when it works to our advantage. But what about when the negative things happen to us? And they're going to happen. That's life. You, you can't avoid it. We're not, we're not in heaven yet, folks. You, you hear this kingdom now theology. That we're in the kingdom now and everything should be wonderful. And, and, And the devil's chained. Oh, really? Joseph. His brothers come to him years later. He's been promoted to the palace. He's the prime minister in Egypt. The superpower of the world of that day. And they're afraid that he's going to be revengeful toward them. And they come, and and, and they they basically begin to plead their case. And he looks at him, and he starts to cry. He starts to cry because the love of God has just changed him, changed his heart. And he said. I know you thought it, I know you meant it toward me for evil. But God, but God meant it for good. Beloved, there are painful things that are going to happen to you and me. And you can let that pain define you, you can let it make you bitter and angry are vengeful. Or you can let God change you. You can allow Him to do that work in your heart. Because in the whole scheme of things, God allows these things. God permits these things. Because He wants to reveal to us His goodness, His kindness, His love. One of the reasons God allows people to hurt us because we would trust people. The Bible doesn't tell us to trust people. It tells us to what? Love people. The Bible tells us trust the Lord. And sometimes when people are so enamored with other people, they get hurt. But in that hurt, in that pain, in that difficulty, We turn to the true and the living God. And he comes in and he binds up our wounds. And there's an incredible process. In that whole process, you know something? That we're being made more like Jesus. And as I've said this before, the sweetest, kindest people in the world have been the people that have gone through incredible suffering and pain and difficulty in life. And, and again, not that we choose that, that would be sickness, but it happens. It happens in our life. And as we turn our lives over to Him, as we commit ourselves to Him, He transforms that into something good, something wonderful, something blessed.